Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast, donor-only edition. Donors only, Klaxon. I'm, I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. With me, Judge John Hodgman, and of course, the elephant in the room, our gratitude for your generosity in supporting the production of our program. Our gratitude just pooped on the floor. <laughs> I should not have told it to take the form of an elephant. <laughs> we should have. Had, we should have told it to take the form of a bouquet of flowers. I think gratitude can only take the form of uh, different animals. states of water. Oh, <laughs> uh, that might be the Wonder Twins. Though. I think that, no, I think that's generosity. That's the generosity is turn, turns into an ice bridge. Gratitude turns into an elephant that poops in my chambers. So sincerely, thank you to everyone who supports MaximumFun.org. Thank you to everyone who's sitting next to them in the car right now. Um, you know, you can you know you can join your friend there or your lover. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Look, we, we, everyone's connected to the internet, even in moving vehicles these days. If you're not, if you didn't donate, now's a great time to feel guilty about it and do it. But thank you to those who did. Jesse Thorne, this is, this is very special because it's a donors only episode. So we know that the people who are listening um, gave and we're grateful to them and we're able to, to share more with them because they're part of the family. Do you know what I mean, Jesse? Yeah, absolutely. So for example, I'm going to say, what I did today was I went and auditioned for a job I will not get. <laughs> came 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 home and ate a lot of kimchi with a fork just out of the jar. That's what's up. And and I can smell my own breath and it is no good. Oh man. Now, there's there's so many types of kimchi available in the immediate vicinity of where I am right now and mm -hmm. I will stop sometimes on my way home from work. Uh, at the Korean supermarket and buy like five yeah. different kinds of kimchi. Give me a give me a couple different kinds because all I've got, the only kimchi that I that I get is the is the number ten kimchi, which is your classic uh, pickled cabbage with red pepper, and it's made by Mrs. Lee at the Korean grocery that was once called the Seventh Avenue Korean grocery, and then they expanded and rebranded. And reopened themselves with a great big new awning that just said the bad wife on it. <laughs> and if those of you who live in Park Slope know this very well, and it's so, it's so, it was so striking. And everyone went up to Mr. Lee and said, why have you, why have you named your store the bad wife? And he was like, it's a joke. And I guess what we pieced together was it was a sort of a lost in translation joke. It's like, oops. Your wife forgot to make dinner, so she's bad and has to go buy kimchi or something. I don't know what it is. They couldn't be more charming people. And it's amazing how something so striking and off-tune and weird suddenly just becomes a part of the landscape and you no longer notice it anymore. So I'm constantly saying, oh, I'm going to go over to the bad wife and get some kimchi and eat it out of the package. But that's the standard stuff. What do you get at your place? Oh, uh, well, I start with... Uh... I tend to go up and down the aisles and just buy anything that seems interesting. So I buy a variety of different types of kimchi. I buy um, like uh, refrigerated soups and stews. Mm -hmm. They have ones that come in like vacuum sealed packages mm -hmm. um, that, you know, but, but they're perishable. So you're supposed to eat them within a couple of weeks or something. Yeah. Uh, I buy those. I buy different kinds of noodles. I'll just buy like four or five different kinds of noodles. I buy instant uh I, I buy instant chow mein noodles. 
uh, mm. which I sometimes put in stir fries. Um, I buy different kinds of soy sauce, so there are lots of, lots of different kinds of soy sauce. Uh, I buy marinated meats of various types. They have lots of different marinated meats. This, this, this sounds, um, not to run down the bad wife from Park Slope, but this sounds spectacular, this store. Yeah, I mean, it's a real supermarket for Korean mm-hmm. people. <laughs> Oh, okay. I got <laughs> they you. also have tons of my favorite citrus fruits when they're in season, and they're much more affordable. Well, sometimes you know what started when you were saying get some get some soups. There's this new brand of artisanal soups that have been showing up in Park Slope markets, and you know this is where the this is pure profit. Do you know what I mm-hmm. mean? You put a bone, you put you, you make some bone broth, uh, and put it in a jar, make it for five cents, sell it for twelve ninety nine or whatever. But the thing is that they put them in these tall mason jars that I've never seen anywhere else. And I'm really into them because I get them and they're pretty good soup, but I'm just drinking the soup going, I can't wait till I get the soup out of this and I can make a martini in this jar. <laughs> and it's very happy, very happy investments. I like you know, that you're eating, you're drinking corn pone uh, martinis. <laughs> well, no, I rinse it out first. <laughs> well, so there you go. What you doing? What you doing, Judge Hodgman? Who me? Oh, I'm I'm just out here. I'm just out here on my porch, uh, playing the banjo and drinking a martini out of this here, uh, this here mason jar. That was the most incredible fusion of a <laughs> southern and Maine accent. <laughs> really, take we should take that on the road. So there you go, folks, donors. What you got was a, a peek behind the curtain into my fascination with grocery stores and Jesse's as well and kimchi and my disgusting eating habits. I even let you know the name of a local, uh, a local business. So you can probably triangulate the position of my home. And that's how much I trust you. Maybe I'll see you at the bad wife. But now Jesse, I have to ask you another behind the scenes moment. Did you meet any legends of entertainment today? Yeah. Earlier today, I met Dick Van Dyke. Oh man. A genuine entertainment legend, like a real live entertainment legend. Yeah. He delivers. If you're wondering, does Dick Van Dyke at age 90 deliver on his status as uh, the most charming man in American history, uh, a pleasant and shamelessly amiable uh, uh, all-American good guy? Uh, The answer is absolutely. Now, let me ask you this. Did you doubt him? Or when you knew he was coming up in the elevator at Max Fun HQ over there in Los Angeles, did you put a bunch of Ottomans in his way <laughs> to see if he still had it? You know what? He Here at the studio at Maximum Fun in Los Angeles, which you've been to, there's quite a step to get out of the studio. The door doesn't go all the way down to floor level. Oh, and yeah, yeah, people yeah. all the time trip on that. And right. he was standing there, and I, I said to him, please be careful. Uh, please watch your step there. And he said, oh, I'm not worried about tripping. I'm a professional tripper. That's right. That's exactly what he is. <laughs> People don't know that I'm, uh, I'm making a reference to the iconic opening credits of the Dick Van Dyke show, where he would come home and trip over an ottoman in the middle of the floor. I think the subtext was that his wife, played by Mary Tyler Moore, was trying to kill him. Yeah. I mean, that was the subtext of the whole show, right? But. Yeah, it was a parable for the uh, the seedier side of the women's liberation movement. Now, did you talk to him? This is, you know what this is like, Jesse? Whenever I visit, whenever I visit Los Angeles for any length of time, if I'm lucky, I'll get a car that has uh, satellite radio in it. And it's the only time that I ever listen to the Howard Stern show is when I'm driving around Los Angeles. And more often... 
than not. I don't even get it in time for the Howard Stern show. So I get to listen to the, the after show yeah. where, t- where two guys talk about what happened on Howard Stern today. And they're like, what do you think Howard meant when he said this thing about someone's butt? And he's like, well, I think he was talking about their butt. Yeah, I think that's probably true. So, and you know, this is not to run down Howard Stern. He's an amazing interview and incredible broadcaster, but this is our version of it. Now we're doing the after show for your interview with Dick Van Dyke. Let me ask you this. Did you discuss his accent in the Mary Poppins film? He brought it up unprompted. He Did has he? a, he has a defensive, uh, he has a defensive anecdote that as soon as I played a clip from, uh, well, I played a clip and he started to go into his thing, uh, he was saying, uh, you know, in that clip, my cockney wasn't too bad. And I went, eh. <laughs> oh, no. And then he told his story about how there, everyone else on the entire film was English and nobody ever told him what a bad job he was doing. Yeah, well, that, I mean, I, 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 someone was just telling me that he has been talking, or perhaps he's always been talking about it. But if you don't know, Dick Van Dyke did a not so great cockney accent in Mary Poppins and, and has paid for it. Every year since, it's a, a constantly recurring, like, you know, Dick Van Dyke, his bad Cockney accent and Mary Poppins, and that somehow constitutes a tweet for somebody. And it's it seems grossly unfair to me, because when you consider what an amazing acting and dancing and singing job he did in that movie, it seems really small and petty to hold him up on the thing that is practically beyond his control. And, and as you say, the story is he barely got any training whatsoever. Uh, he only had like days to prepare. And uh, it, it, what you just said really resonated with me because in my experience of uh, acting, if they if, if you're doing a bad job, no one will ever tell you because it'll just slow things down and get in your head and you'll just get worse. And when they say you're doing a good job, they're usually lying. <laughs> he brought that point up. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, he is so wonderful. I mean, that I think that is the special thing about Mary Poppins is that yeah. uh, it's sort of irrelevant that he's doing such a terrible accent because he's so great. <laughs> yeah, he's so winning and so charming, and and the, you know, it, it, the thing of him is that he you feel that he is in complete physical control of every cell in his body, and the the kinds of faces that he makes, and then obviously the, the dancing and what he does with his body is. Incredible to see. And he also plays that old banker. Yeah. Like give, give Dick Van Dyke a break. And, you know, I Twitterers. listened to a clip from the old banker and his accent was a lot stronger on that one. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Let's get to some cases. No, let's not. I'm enjoying talking. This is something people never get to hear, but I suppose you're right. Should we, we shouldn't. We should, should we just talk about how before uh, before he got the Dick Van Dyke show and before he got Bye Bye Birdie on Broadway, uh, Dick Van Dyke had a, a lip sync act that he toured with no yeah i mean yes we should talk well you should tell me dick van dyke toured for years as a lip sync performer with a comedy partner uh they would play hit records of the day and uh-huh. do comic vaudeville things along to them i couldn't get him to I tell thought... me what they were <laughs> i thought you were saying he was lipstick that he was lip syncing stand-up routines by other comedians. No, 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 no. Come on, no, 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 no. So when when will we hear your interview with Dick Van Dyke? We probably already heard it by the time this comes out. And and where did we hear it? On MaximumFun.org on my hit show Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. 
All right, now that we've plugged the bad wife and bullseye, let's move on to some justice here in Chambers. David asks, how should a record collection be shelved and categorized? I claim records should be organized alphabetically by artist, then chronologically by that artist's albums. For example, Metallica's Ride the Lightning would be placed before Master of Puppets. I believe this helps to highlight the musical evolution of the band over time. To those looking at my record collection. (laughs) My wife says that records should be organized alphabetically by artist and then alphabetically again by album, much like a bookstore would be organized if it collected records. Since we can't agree on a cataloging system, we now have recently played records being stacked on top of each other, warping the record and causing damage to both their sound quality and value. Please tell us who is right. Wait, is he suggesting that because they can't agree upon an organizing principle, they've now stacked records up and they've been stacked up for decades to the point that they're warped because their (laughs) fight has gone on for that long? Apparently so. Well, you know, I used to be a radio DJ, Jesse Thorne, and we had a very specific way of uh, filing records. And they were record albums because this was 1988 through 1990 or so at WMFO-FM at the Tufts University campus in Medford, Massachusetts. And do you know what that very specific way of organizing them was? What was that way, Judge Hodgman? I was hoping you would remember because I don't. We certainly did them. We certainly did them alphabetically. Well, first of all, by by genre. Yeah, KZSE in Santa Cruz, California, had and has a complex, colored duct tape based genre categorization system. So I remember, mm-hmm. for example, that green was rock, silver was soul. Mm-hmm. I want to say blue and silver was hip hop, but mm-hmm. it went all the way down to like there was a surf section. <laughs> there was a special color for surf. Well, that's Santa Cruz, man. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, we had them. We had the the record collection was divided into jazz and rock and maybe spoken word. Those were the three that I was interested in. The, the John Giorno Poetry Systems records, some early William S. Burroughs grumblings. That was what I would play on the radio for my two listeners, and then one of them would turn it off. Uh, And then obviously within each genre, you would have alphabetical by artist. But within artist, my guess is that it was done alphabetically by record at that point. At KZSE in Santa Cruz, I'll tell you what it was. What was it? It was just by artist. You know, it's like it's it's only at a certain point. Right. You know, ease off the throttle. (laughs) Mr. Organizes a lot. So just be a by artist and and things are thrown in. So for your for your yeah. John Journal poetry systems, you would have, have all really, the albums together. And I have a really hard time finding how many artists have more than five albums that right. matter that are in your collection. You know, right. right? Maybe they have ten albums. You know, so so just from a functional point of view, there there need not be organization within artist to begin with. Right. That's your suggestion. Right. I think that's fair. But in terms of this particular dispute, this guy wants to do it one way. And his girlfriend wants to do it another, excuse me, his wife wants to do it another way. That is to say, alphabetically within alphabetical artist category. And he wants to do it chronologically. And I have to say, this may be the only time that I am going to side 
with an with a completist dude with an anachronistic hobby but i <laughs> all you know the the fa the fact that he's essentially writing in to brag about his vast vinyl collection alone prejudices me against him and writing in to brag about the fact that he knows offhand the release date of all the albums in his record collection because otherwise what you have to do is look down try and find a copyright date somewhere not only on the one that you have in your hand to put away but also the ones that are already on the shelf right i i appreciate that it's 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 profoundly uh small bore and and weird and self-congratulatory but i do think that it's sort of interesting if if he wants to organize his records in in release date because then the category tells a little story and his uh wife who clearly knows nothing about the the bands that he cares about if she so chose could listen through the category the artist category from the beginning of the career to the most recent thing and learn a little bit more about how terrible her husband is but i think it's fine if, and particularly if it's his collection and he's willing to keep it organized properly I, I think that's kind of interesting and, and that's okay and and you know from her point of view there is no real harm to her nor does she need to do any extra work because she pulls out the record that she wants and then do the old uh, radio station trick where you pull out the record next to it about halfway and that way you remember that's exactly you just slide it back in where it belongs i have no problem with it but i'll tell you this so that's it so this is the one the one time the the dude with the pretentious completist archaic hobby gets a pass from me because I think it's fine. But, Do you want to know what categories I have in my record collection? Sure. I have a soul and R and B category. And the, are, are you talking about record albums, vinyl record albums? Yeah. Right. Yeah. My uh, uh, my digital music collection is uh, all in one category, which is uh, too many MP3s, and it breaks iTunes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not really sure what to do about that. Yeah, well, I'm not going to solve that problem for you. Uh, but my uh, my albums, I got a soul and R&B. That's the most of my albums. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I got a jazz section. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I got a white people section. <laughs> Is that where you find your John Giorno Poetry Project albums? Mostly, Ran mostly Randy Newman albums. <laughs> <laughs> Primarily, but not exclusively. I mean, look, sure, do I have a copy of Nilsson Sings Newman, the Harry Nilsson, all Randy Newman songs album? Yeah, sure. Do you have a copy of Nelson Sings Nilsson? That's the... Charles Nelson Riley's. No, it's Sean, Sean, Sean Nelson, the great Seattle vocalist and rock band leader of Harvey Danger, singing all Harry Nilsson songs. It's a great album. And it's certainly very Caucasian. You might want to include it in your White People Record album collection. But I'm glad that you have them. You know, when you know when we got this house in Maine, it was up. It was state of the art for the elderly people who built it in 2007, and so they included uh, uh, wired speaker portals, so you could hook up your hi-fi, and then you know this the speaker they they wired the house so that you could have remote speakers all over the place, which no one ever does anymore because no one has a, a hi-fi system in that way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So in other words, there's a place where you're supposed to put the receiver and the turntable, and then you run the wires into a wall port, and then you can put your speakers over on the other side of the room without running wire all over the place because it's, it's wired inside the walls. Mm, that's gorgeous. So, so I was like, I think I want to get 
I want to I want to get an old timey receiver and a and a turntable and speakers just like I used to have when I was in college. And someone had told me in Maine to go to this place on the on the Bangor Road uh, in Ellsworth called Ellsworth Audio. And he said, when you get there, you will think not only that it is closed, but that it has been closed for 35 years. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> like weeds growing out of the of the driveway and, you know, letters dangling off of the sign and the windows completely dark. But handwritten on a piece of paper that has been taped up, it says, knock. And I knocked for a long time, and this older, semi-retired guy named Dennis came out and said, what do you want? And I'm like, I was told to come here to, to buy equipment. And he goes, oh, all right, come in. And it, it's the most amazing place because it is uh, it clearly was a reputable stereo and stereo component business before. It's still, the, the remnants of the carpeted showroom are still there, but it's now just encrusted with junked old receivers and turntables that Dennis, who is a genius, sits around in the in the back of his cave fiddling with all day long. Um, and for a long time, he was maintaining this store that no one would ever come to again just because he worked for acoustic research in Boston in the 70s and still loved fixing these things. And now he's got this whole new act in his career because... People are interested in this stuff again, and he's selling it over eBay all the time. But it was the most amazing thing. And so I just, you know, we bought some pretty basic speakers and a receiver and a turntable off him and ran it home, plugged it all in. And I'm like, how, how good can this sound compared to what I've been listening to? And we turned on a, a record. I think it was a Ricky Lee Jones record that I hadn't heard since I was in college or high school. And it sounded so good. And I almost burst into tears. And I wrote a letter of apology to Neil Young to say, <laughs> you were right all along. There's something about it that sounds, it sounded, it's like I hadn't heard a song in 25 years till I heard it played on vinyl on good speakers. It's amazing. Yeah, I got a, I got a setup. You got a setup? You got to get a setup. Everybody look. Stuff. Everybody, I had uh, these nice speakers and then, and then I was at the flea market one day. And there was this gorgeous set of speakers from uh, probably mid to late 60s, huge speakers, like probably four feet. Right. And uh, uh, solid wood cases, wood grills. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I bought them. And uh, then I realized that I didn't think I could carry them. <laughs> Like, uh -huh. not both uh -huh. of them. I right. didn't think I could carry one of them. And I was there with my mom, who's in her 70s. So that yeah. wasn't going to help. So I just, like, back. I literally, I literally just used every muscle in my body to lift one at a time of these and carry them the, it had to be 1,500, 2,000 feet uh, to get to the, to get to the parking lot where my car was. And, uh, but now I got these speakers, you know. You could you could easily it's like uh, you know you could easily kill a man with them yeah if it came to it you could kill a man with with sound waves like if he insulted my speakers yeah Just, okay you, okay N new case new case okay, okay okay Ryan says my girlfriend Maya and I live together in an apartment in Italy the bathroom of which is equipped with the standard bidet next to the toilet. In the mornings and evenings, we often need the bathroom at the same time for bathing, teeth brushing, grooming, and bowel movements. <laughs> it doesn't make it any better. 
Maya is comfortable doing most of these things simultaneously. However, she insists I leave the bathroom when she needs to pee and refuses mm. to let me pee at the same time as her, in spite of the fact that the bidet is also a perfectly acceptable receptacle for urine. I seek an injunction forbidding Maya from banishing me from the restroom when she needs to pee in order that I be allowed to use the bidet for urinating when the toilet is occupied. So just to clarify for the non-Europeans in, in the audience and the children who may not know what a bidet is, in in Europe, they have many different kinds of basins and holes than you might be expected, you might be used to from your own bathroom. They might have a toilet and then next to it, a sort of a, a, a raised basin with uh, it looks like a halfway between a toilet and a sink. And this is called a bidet. And you use it to to wash yourself after you use the bathroom. Right, Jesse? Yeah. I've never used one. I don't see how that's helpful at all. Just takes up real estate in the bathroom. So let me understand this. Maya and Ryan live together in Italy. Maya and Ryan are both comfortable pooping in front of one another. But Maya is not comfortable peeing in front of her boyfriend or being peed in front of while she is in the bathroom, presumably pooping. Is that, do I have this right? Yeah, that's what it seems like. So this court is on record, both in print and in the podcast, that it is important that cohabitating couples uh, endeavor within their reason to hide their their terrible physical grossness from each other. Which is to say, don't get used to farting in front of each other because that's that's where the magic really begins to die in this court's opinion. Now, if you're young, you may think it's fun and transgressive to poop in front of each other. But trust me, this will not be a habit you cherish once you are no longer young, beautiful people who only poop rainbow skittles or whatever. It gets grosser. You get grosser as you get older. You don't want to get in the habit of being gross in front of the person that you live with because you, it's impolite to remind them that you're a gross, decaying piece of meat, I think. That said, most couples frequently or at need do urinate in front of each other. Fine, I guess. That said, I don't ever, I don't ever want to be in a room with another person when they are evacuating in any kind. It's just... Uh, not know, necessary. Not necessary. It's not necessary. It's not. I, it's bad enough to use a public restroom and hear someone inside the stall, sitting down, on the phone, making plans to meet up with his girlfriend later. Gross. That's happened to me at Katz's Deli, and I don't like it. Now, given that Maya and you, Ryan, are already in breach of this cardinal rule in the court, though, uh, it now becomes an issue of logical consistency in your world you guys are gross in front of each other all the time so i see no logically consistent reason why you shouldn't ryan pee in the bidet while she is pooping you both deserve each other and you're both filthy weirds and that's my ruling what do you think jesse i think you should order them never to write to us again <laughs> god uh, what a groove it grosses you out just don't yeah. You guys are going to do it later. Right. We're talking about hugging and kissing kids. Yeah. So stop doing stuff in front of each other. Give yourself some space. I appreciate that you might not. You only have one bathroom there in Italy. I, I think there is maybe only is one bathroom in Italy. 
now that I think about it. And it might require some timing and everything else, but give yourselves the space so there's a little bit of mystery and don't pee in the bidet. You know, it's not, it's not what it's for. Okay, here's something from Angie. My boyfriend Derek and I have a dispute over what constitutes a nice restaurant. Here's the backstory. Derek oh, sent me a text. Me, do you want me to read this one? No, I just Can know you it? that... It, I just feel like it's about to take a turn for the cargo shorts. You know what <laughs> I mean? Anyway. I do know exactly what you mean. and Well said. Just this. Yeah. Okay. Derek sent me a text saying we should go somewhere nice for dinner. I assumed this meant nice, meaning a place to get dressed up and eat better food than we normally would have. After getting ready to go and bragging to a friend that I was having a date night at a nice restaurant, Derek told me he was planning on taking us to a local all-you-can-eat sushi place. I say that the very premise of all-you-can-eat is not nice. Derek argues that the restaurant has a waterfall inside, which looks nice, but <laughs> the cost of the dinner was more than we would normally spend when eating out, making it a nice dinner. I would like the judge to make an official ruling on what constitutes a nice dinner out, and if he sees fit, award damages in the form of a nice dinner out to the wronged party. Well, Jesse, do you feel that took a turn for the cargo shorts? Well, I think that the most telling part is this part about there being a waterfall inside. Oh, I cannot argue with the boyfriend on that point. I think I think a waterfall in a restaurant con connotes nice in a very specific way. The I main, love it. The main place, the main place my wife and I go out to eat on date nights is yeah. uh, Splash Mountain. I think I think a waterfall. I've only been in a, in a restaurant with a waterfall once, and that was a. Uh, a Korean restaurant in Little Korea on 34th Street in, or, uh, in New York City, and I have to say, I think, I think, if, I think if a restaurant has a, has a waterfall in it, or or even like a little river in it that has little boats going down it, like I just think that that's they're definitely trying to be nice. I think that that's true. At the same time, all you can eat sushi does not connote nice. It mainly connotes food poisoning. Uh, and this is not a kind of food that you want to be buying at a discount or in shoving it down your face in an all, all you can eat buffet style thing. Um, and in that sense, so, you know, we are in kind of a little bit of a gray area between nice and not so very nice. How about uh, this for a rule? Can I suggest a rule? Sure. I don't know if this sticks. It's just a brainstorm. A nice restaurant is one where it would be weird to wear shorts. Well, there. I'm trying to think of an example of a restaurant where it would be okay to wear shorts, other than a clam shack where you're going to eat outside. Oh, you don't live in Los Angeles, man. Uh, no, I certainly do not. What? <laughs> uh, where? Like, or a fast food restaurant where you, you? You think there's not there's not dozens of people wearing shorts in a cheesecake factory right now? Oh yeah, Cheesecake but, Factory is a restaurant where your entree is going to cost you twenty dollars or whatever. And do you, do you consider that nice? No, you don't consider that nice. No, because you could wear shorts there. Right. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb or calf as the case. I mean, may pretty be. much the only thing that breaks this rule would be like, uh, you know, like a seafood restaurant on a pier. Yeah, because you could a, have a nice seafood restaurant on a pier where it would still be okay to wear shorts. If you're, yeah, but even then, you know, a seafood restaurant on a pier, if you're eating outside and you are, and you are relatively southerly 
in a in a in a warm environment and you're eating seafood yeah you could eat shorts but let's not let's not define the exceptions to the rule i think that it's an operable rule i think that there are restaurants that are that are dressing up as nice such as the cheesecake factory that aren't really what your beloved girlfriend might expect when you tell her i'm going to take you out for a nice dinner here's a rule of thumb how about ask your girlfriend where she wants to go to dinner and take her there yeah and here's another rule of thumb if your boyfriend uh doesn't yet know what nice means and thinks it just means a waterfall and money then don't complain about it to a podcast or to him enjoy the fact that he's making an effort and gently say, next time, I'd like to go to this place. I presume you guys are paying Dutch, right? That's not offensive, is it, to the Dutch? You're splitting the bill. Could that be offensive to the Dutch? I apologize. I presume you're splitting the bill. So you should both, uh, and you know, obviously, just as as members of a couple, should collaborate and figure out where where you want to have dinner and what your taste is and where your tastes meet and don't meet. And don't surprise a girlfriend with all you can eat sushi place just because it has a waterfall. That's it. I kind of want to go. Have, you know where I like? I like sushi places that have conveyor belts in them. Yeah, that is fun. That's I don't fun. even like sushi. I would go there. Yeah. I should I mean, learn I w- to like sushi. I'm a grown up. Well, you know, and, th- and maybe this all you can eat sushi waterfall place is great, but I would urge you, Jesse, as someone who, who doesn't love sushi, to, to stay away from the fish and eat more of the cooked like the the avocado rolls. The yeah, but that, that always the, seems the, like a cop out to me. No, that, I think vegetarian sushi is is one of the greatest inventions of all time. Okay, should you learn to should you learn to enjoy raw fish? Absolutely. Should you wear long pants? Of course. But next there time are we, options. Next time you're in Los Angeles, we should we'll go for sushi. Yeah, you My live wife in one likes of the, it. She doesn't like she doesn't like fish though, so she she'll she'll stick to the vegetarian stuff. But we'll go and I'll eat some fish things. And uh, I'll grow a little. I'm a grown-up now. I eat all kinds of stuff I didn't like before. That's I like right. a, I like asparagus. Like, I actively enjoy eating it. And when you pee in the bidet later, you, uh, it has a different smell. I love that. To me, that is half of the magic of eating asparagus. Uh, but I don't want to get too far into this. I think, it's, I think it may be 70% of the magic, honestly. But go on. <laughs> Timothy writes, My wife Amanda and I recently hosted Thanksgiving dinner for our family, and we found that we didn't have enough silverware for all of our guests. We decided to add on to our current set, but we can't agree on how many additional utensils to purchase. Our current set contains knives, forks, teaspoons, and tablespoons. My wife believes we don't need more tablespoons because they're too big and they're only for serving. I say that tablespoons are for eating and should be included in an additional set. I also maintain that teaspoons are for stirring and sipping tea or coffee. Please help us resolve this issue. Well, there's a certain amount of confusion here just in terms of terminology. Uh, Because what you're calling a tablespoon regionally may be called a tablespoon. It is not obviously the measuring spoon that is a tablespoon. It is the larger of the dinner spoons that most, that we call in the Northeast at least, dinner spoons. And a a traditional place setting that is not super duper formal, but is traditional, would have a salad fork, a dinner fork, a knife, a teaspoon, and, and a dinner spoon. And that dinner spoon, that larger spoon, um, I guess could be used for serving, but it is not designed to be used for serving. That's a serving spoon. 
uh, typically you would have the the dinner spoon be there for uh, soup, which would be your first course, and the and the teaspoon, which would be between the knife and the dinner spoon, would be for tea or coffee. That's its name. Uh, what's more, having perused the Oneida silverware collection, Oneida being a my favorite brand of silverware that once that began as a uh, a failed utopian communal sex club and now just makes beautiful silverware. Um, they sell most, and like most, I think, flatware companies, they sell these things more cheaply in sets than as individual pieces. So why not get a full set that includes your salad fork and your dinner spoon? Is there a storage issue? Perhaps, but if, if you're going to host Thanksgiving, you may have several courses and it, and it will make your table look nice and you'll feel more like a grown-up. And I, why stop there with your salad fork, your dinner fork, your knife, and your soup spoon and your teaspoon? What about your salad spoon and your butter knife or your satsuma spoon? What about your fish fork or your oyster spear or your quail de beaker or your eel all or your stew scoop? I love all this stuff. Get it all if you can afford it. But it's very, very, very inexpensive to get sets of silverware, and I see no reason to not have a full complement at your disposal. It will help you feel more like a grown-up and also will make you um, perhaps a more interesting entertainer as you challenge yourself to serve several courses that wouldn't use them all. I have a question for you, Judge Hodgman. Yes. Well, first of all, I want to I want to affirm Timothy's experience because my wife and I have this same disagreement. My wife refuses to use what I would, as a as a Pacific coaster would call a tablespoon at the mm-hmm. table. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll only use a teaspoon. She says the tablespoon is just too big for her mouth. Um, she will eat s- soup with a teaspoon. Um, right. uh, and uh, so I, we typically, we tend to uh, set the table since we don't often dine formally yeah. uh, with multiple sizes of spoon. <laughs> well, sure. And, you know, it, it's not that you have to have a full table setting every time you sit down to dinner. Sometimes you're just going to have a spork. But I always feel that since you are going to be spending as much, if not maybe even more, buying your individual flatware a la carte, you might as well give yourself the option of go, of upgrading to something a little bit more fancy. Or maybe you'll have a guest come around who has a really huge mouth and needs a bigger spoon. Yeah, I got a big mouth. You know how to you know how to set that you know how to set that dinner table, right? I mean, yeah. I I get it from Emily Post, but it's, if you have a salad, you have a salad fork, then the dinner fork, then the plate. Then the knife, blade pointed inward, and then the spoon, if you have two spoons, teaspoon, and then tablespoon or dinner spoon. And you can take away the dinner spoon or the and the salad fork at the same time and just put them, keep them in the drawer if you don't need them. And then you, then you just have an even, even less formal way. And, and of course, it's all, it's all Titanic rules. You work your way in. That's how you remember it. Okay, so here's my question for you, Judge Hodgman. Yeah, go ahead. I have a set. I'm going to call my daily table where I think it's called Stanley Astro Stainless. Mm-hmm. It's like a 60s kind of uh, sort of modern-y looking set. Not dramatically so. It's very everyday, but but sort of modernish looking. And I bought it in a huge lot, maybe at an estate or something like that. I don't remember. And I've had it since uh, since my wife and I have been grown-ups, you know, since we were in our early to mid-20s. And um, it's great. We have a ton of everything, mm-hmm. except we don't have a ton of serving stuff. Mm-hmm. 
we have a couple of serving things, but I'm always frustrated when we have a when we have people over or something uh, okay. that we don't have enough serving things to serve everything at the table. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I go on eBay to look for serving stuff for my thing for my yeah. set, and it's often available, typically available, and my set's pretty affordable. But the serving things often cost like you know like ten bucks, and then. And then it's like another like eight bucks to ship it or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And by that time, it's like fifteen twenty dollars for a fork. And then I get annoyed and upset because I'm like, well, the whole reason I have this is because it was so affordable and because I could replace the pieces whenever I wanted. But then sometimes I think, come on, just buy four of them; it'll cost you sixty dollars, and you'll be set forever. Yeah, I think so. Is that what's your dilemma? Do that. My dilemma is I don't want to. I feel like I'm ruining the point of saving the money on it in the first place. It's a great set, but I I got it very affordably because I bought a big lot of it. You know. So you're saying that if you buy a piece, if you buy serving utensils in the set, in the design, piece by piece via eBay, you're going to blow your investment. Yeah, I mean that's it's you know it's it's a uh, it's a matter of not understanding sunk costs, but still. <laughs> Some economic principle, not sunk costs. Don't email me, America. Yeah, but if you here's 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 the thing: if you need if you need serving utensils and you want them to match, then that's then there's a price you're going to have to pay. Yeah, and that price is my life. And that price is your life. Here's something from Kevin. My girlfriend Karen and I are currently disputing the exact date of our dating anniversary, uh, or if it pleases the court, our garbage anniversary. Indeed. We met two years ago on my birthday. We started seeing each other shortly thereafter and decided eventually that we were dating. The exact first date is lost to history. This is often the case. I mean, these, these people are probably millennials. Yeah. You know how it is. Do they just Netflix and chill? Yeah. Uh, I voted that, that means, my. That means relaxing in front of Netflix, right? Exactly. Yeah. I voted that my birthday also serves as our official anniversary date. Karen was opposed because we were not dating as of my birthday. An arbitrary date a few weeks past my birthday was chosen instead. However, Uh we've forgotten what that date was. (laughs) Should we choose another arbitrary date or just use my birthday to mark it? So the reference to garbage-versary is to another case where I basically told people, "Stop, stop thinking of your first date as an anniversary. And I mainly did this as a grumpy old man who was mad at millennials who weren't bothering to get married. And you were upset. They didn't even have Netflix back then. That's right. That's right. Do you want to do you want to And you a... very rarely had the opportunity to chill. Right. Do you want to rent a Sega Genesis and chill? <laughs> Should we get a Philips CD interactive and chill? <laughs> Sherlock's Sherlock yeah. Holmes consulting detective and chill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that those two Zelda games that are non-canonical and chill. <laughs> And and proof of just how garbage the garbage versary is, you created an artificial anniversary, and then you forgot about it because you know it's not important. But if you wish to celebrate an annual, hey, we're together, and I'd like to take you out to a nice waterfall restaurant or whatever, uh-huh. I'm not going to stand in your way. Just remember what the date is. <laughs> Go ahead, pick an arbitrary date. It cannot be your birthday, Kevin. Because it's not all about you. Can't you can't celebrate you at every day? You understand that millennials can't. It can't be a you celebration every day. Sometimes it has to be some about someone else or nothing. 
But I would pick a non-Kevin's birthday date that seems more or less right, and this time, write it down. Don't forget. Yes, choose another arbitrary date. Do not use your birthday. That's it. That's all we got here. What's that? That's all. We're all done with the justice? Yeah, justice is finished. All right. So here's what we talked about today. Kim Chi at The Bad Wife is near Uh where I live. Dick Van Dyke Uh is an incredible performer who should not be made fun of for this one thing in his career because it makes you feel clever on Twitter. Everyone's made that joke already. Uh, Ellsworth Audio on the Bangor Road. These are my plugs. Ellsworth Audio on the Bangor Road. uh, And that's the road between Bangor and Bar Harbor in Hancock County, Maine, is an amazing place. You can read a a write-up about it from some guy writing for a website called Stereophile that has some good pictures of Dennis and his weird receiver graveyard that he presides over. And we'll put, I'll put there's one, there's one of my favorite photos of all time of Dennis standing at his workbench, looking at a weird piece of junk with a look on his face. Like now, what am I going to do? It's incredible. Anything else that we needed to recap or recover there, Jesse? I just want to mention that, uh, uh, a listener named Frank, longtime Max Funster named Frank, uh, works for, and I'm going to give special dispensation for this little bit of buzz marketing because it ties in with your stereo store, mm-hmm. works for a company called Sonos that makes wireless speakers. Mm-hmm. And I had been obsessing over whether I should put wires in my wall so that mm-hmm. I could connect my hi-fi to other rooms, as you just described, right. for literally years, just completely yeah. obsessing over whether I should do it or not. And uh, finally, a friend convinced me you, you should try a Sonos, and then uh, uh, Frank o- offered to help me out, and uh, I bought a bunch of Sonos stuff, uh, which is not cheap but not unreasonably priced. And uh, I am like so delighted with I couldn't be more delighted with it, including uh, things that connect my stereo to my speakers downstairs. So it's not they make, you know, speaker units, but then they also make things that connect to your speakers. Mm-hmm, I got mm-hmm. outdoor speakers. Now I can put on a record. I could literally put that record on in every room in my house. I love it. And this is just a pure you like this product. Yeah, it's just a great product it's for a like thing me, that came up on the show. Yeah, right. It's not like me trying to blackmail Utz into giving us some money. No, I just really liked. I really like this Sonos that I got. It's liberating. Yeah, I'm very it's... grateful. I'm very grateful to my friend uh, Jody Scott from childhood, who uh, told me that it was really great, and uh, to Frank, who's like, "Oh, I work at I work at Sonos. I'll help you." So there uh, you go. Well, Frank's a nice guy. He used to play first base on the softball team. It's truly liberating to be able to mention brand names, and and I I feel like. We're doing it just because uh, this is a very special group of listeners uh, who have supported the show and have supported Maximum Fun, and we're very grateful. And thanks for letting us break all our rules today for you. Yes, indeed. That's it. I'm, Thank you, I'm everybody. <laughs> yeah. Our producer, Julia Smith, our editor, Mark McConville. Uh, we'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.